We didn't know we were all Karens until we all had a goddamn video camera in our pockets. And as yeah. soon as we all had a video camera in our pockets, we all went, I can complain about Samantha. I think she's a witch. I can't prove it, but I'm going to prove she's a witch. We're all Gladys Kravitz. I don't know who Gladys Kravitz is. I'm Don Hall. And I'm David Himmel. And this is the Literate Apecast. All right, gang, this is done. David Himmel is currently in the Middle East uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, he is uh, in Israel with his family uh, because his dad wanted to do sort of a pilgrimage with the whole family. Number two, he is a Jew. And being Jew, he has to go to the homeland, the promised land to discover his roots, um, which is the equivalent of me going to Memphis. Uh, so that is, that is, that's kind of what's going on. Uh, he's going to his version of Memphis to see what the fuck uh, it means to him. And he is going to be recording uh, bits and pieces of his uh, travels. And that will be probably most of the next episode. But for this episode, I decided I would invite a very good friend of mine, a friend from Chicago. And then most recently, when I was in Vegas, he and I reconnected. He is a, a brilliant actor, a brilliant director, a brilliant teacher of acting and directing in, of, in, in, in the most improbable. It's like, it's like he's an atomic scientist in Dubuque is what it is. It's like it makes no sense at all. Uh, he is he is he is a, a brilliant artist stuck in the middle of nowhere, Utah. Ladies and gentlemen, Brandon Bruce. Ah, thank you so much. I've been waiting to talk, but you just kept blathering your mouth on and off. <laughs> have you listened to the podcast? Uh, Every you, week, you know, I do. Every single week. I, for those who ever you, met me before, because yeah, that's what I do. I blather. Occasionally, you will hear uh, little shout outs to me in the middle of these uh, podcasts because. Don Hall is aware that I am listening and I'm constantly making corrections. Yeah. Her name is Amanda Knox. Her name it's, is Amanda Knox. I got it. Italy. Her name is Amanda Knox. Knox. I got that. It, it took me a little while. You know, the thing about it is, again, listening. To you get it wrong day, every week. <laughs> David, David and I fuck up names like, uh, I don't know, like fish shit in water. It just happens. It just, we can't oh. help ourselves. It's what we do. I will do my best to be a slightly younger Jewish man. Oh, there you go. Wow. All right. You're going to, you're going to access your Jewishness in your brain. I love it. All right. Well, one of the things what are, we're going to leap right into this, we are going to do a Rorschach. I'll be pitching Rorschach Brandon and he has three things to recommend as I have three things. So the format is the same. It's just a, a far more entertaining and a much more likable partner that I have for the podcast today. Not nice. Because well, they you you met David. David is he's it's, it's like doing a podcast with a Brillo pad, man. It's yeah, but I mean, fucking it, abrasive. It's abrasive. Is all I'm saying. And you're not abrasive. I you know if you think I'm abrasive, I think that's all you know. That's let's put it this way. 
the abrasion is really the problem of the pan, not the pad. You do whatever you got to do to justify it, but you great as fuck. But <laughs> oh no, dude, I don't know. It, it, well, it's just very interesting because that's one of the things. Because I'm living alone in my uh, in my in my cavernous uh, loft apartment, and I don't have a social life outside of just hanging out with my my parents, my sister, and you know, I'd go to work, but I don't really socialize at work. But work is fine. But one being this this isolate, I this. I think this is probably the first time in a really long time in my life where I'm just alone. You know, I don't have a wife. That's one of the jokes. I don't got a wife. I don't got a kid. I don't have a fucking pet. All I have is my internal monologue. Oh, shit. But what I've realized is it's helping me strip away a lot of the bullshit. And one of the things that I realized, like, you know, you and I have talked a lot about sort of like my, my tendency to create provocative theater. Yeah, you know, and if you, even in even in your class, when you have me come and teach your class, it's like okay, I you know I I dress it up in this 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 lofty noble well. It's to, to provoke thought and to get people to see the world. That, no, no. As I start to strip things away, I realize no, I'm just an asshole who loves nothing but the discomfort of others. It cracks my shit up. So that's it. And and the cool thing is. The strange thing is that that love of discomfort is oddly comforting. <laughs> it's, I don't know how to describe it, but it really is. It's very comforting. That's the reason why I've always liked you, because I always knew that I'm always going to get the truth from you. I'm always going to get the truth. I mean, it may be your version of the truth, which is nine times yeah. ten horseshit. But, <laughs> but it's also fair. Give me eight. Give me eight out of ten. Eight out of ten? Oh, eight out of ten. Okay, yeah. I'll give you. I'll give you. A, let's go eight. Let's split the difference and call it. Uh, I don't know. So, but what you've done with all those students is now that those students are like you've left. You came in for a day. Yeah. And now I'm I'm in the middle of Southern Utah. So for those of you, I, I teach at Utah Tech, and uh, I'm about two hours away from Vegas. Uh, and uh, the uh, all of these students that are in this very conservative community have become these like budding provocateurs so like nice. everything you do has some kind of knife edge attached to it uh there's nothing about it is is sweet nothing about it is nice i even one day said will you do something that's funny and uh they don't they just do stuff that's extremely depressing and i keep telling them that it's not necessarily a smart thing to make their audience uh take their medicine all the time but uh Fuck it. it. Shove it down their throats. Give them their, uh, what is the, uh, the Pepto-Bismol laced with, I don't know, whatever else that, that's in there. Hey, what's the stuff that um, Mussolini used to force feed people? Uh, olive oil? Castor oil. Castor oil or Ipecac. Yeah, yeah. One or the other. Yeah. <laughs> Same thing, I think. See, I would argue the only thing I would tell your students is uh, I don't think there's anything problem about making the audience take their medicine. But if you don't, if you personally as an artist don't find it hysterical, right, you're doing something wrong. You must find it incredibly funny that you're fucking with these people because if you don't find the humor in your own prov provocation, you're not having any fun, and you will only last for a certain amount of time. You got to have fun fucking with people, and this is that brings me to my next point. With this, this idea of joy, or the first point, rather. Okay, you, well, it sounds like well, you're talking about joy there. Well, get get. Well, no, I have great joy in fucking with people. Um, let's get to. I I, I mentioned, you know, it's like, oh, hey, Brandon, you wanna you wanna do the eight cast? I said, so you got a topic you wanna talk about? And he fucking vomited this 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 
laundry list of shit that's on his mind. So I just went, fuck it, let's talk about all of it. All right, so here's what you wrote. I'm just going to go down the list. You wrote, I did some training in the Michael Chekhov acting method for a long, grueling week last week, which I will say, I'm sorry, um, digging a ditch or tarring a roof is grueling. An acting class is not grueling. Anyway, Chekhov once said that with, without joy, art is impossible. That quote is really sticking in my craw, and it's bothering me since history is filled with miserable artists. Tell me what uh, what that checkoff thing is and, and what your thoughts on there are. So first, fuck you. Uh, <laughs> first thing he had at me, uh, uh, because it was grueling, and here's the reason why it was grueling, all right? So it's not, hey, honestly, if I was digging a ditch, although with my bad shoulder, I probably couldn't do it. It's grueling. I, I, of course it's grueling, but it's also yeah. pretty awesome. You know what I mean? I love physical labor. I love, like, I, when I had a lawn, I had a lawn that went in Virginia that was like an acre. And I would mow this thing. And after it was done, I would stand there with my arms folded like this, this person that just conquered this huge piece of land. Like, I did that. And, I, and mind you, it was all in a hill. So I had to do a push mower, man. Push mower like the old days, like our forefathers did. So, uh, <laughs> anyways. I they're push mowers, yes. So my point anyway. was... Um, why it was exhausting slash good. I actually liked a lot of it. I don't know if you know anything about the Michael Chekhov uh, method. I, I do, but is, explain it because I'm pretty sure the four other listeners besides you don't, they're, they're not familiar with it. So maybe. Oh, Lord have mercy. Uh, okay. I'll have to do a little theater history stuff for you. So. Oh, Jesus Christ. I got to do it. I got it. You asked me to do it. I'm fucking doing it. So, okay. <laughs> So most of what you see, most of what anybody sees in normal acting, you see a movie, you see anything, you see literally any movie that you see, those actors are going to be trained in what is called the Stanislavski method. Stanislavski is basically the person responsible for creating the modern Western acting method, the realism, realistic acting method. Even if you're... Came, yeah, what's that? Came, out of the, came out of the group theater in the 30s. Yeah, well, the group group brought it to the U.S., but yeah. Yeah, they brought it to the U.S. with Hera Klerman and Stella Adler and... Lisa uh, Crosby. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, okay. So uh, fucking history. I, you know. So, uh, but you asked me to... I'm not telling it to you. I, this, you all right, you're, you're, you're all right. You're making... So, Michael Chekhov was considered to be uh, Stanislavski's greatest student. And you're just... You just Don just walked away, everyone. Well, no, I'm still here. That's, I just had to turn a light on. <laughs> so um, he was considered to be his greatest student. If you if you recognize the name Chekhov, it's because Michael Chekhov was the nephew of the great playwright Anton Chekhov. Or so, if if you recognize the name Chekhov, you are sorry, a Star Trek fan. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, they didn't get that from anywhere, did they? So uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, Michael Chekhov uh, took Stanislavski's method and turned it into this. I would deem it a very physical approach. So it's a very athletic approach and it's steeped in something called uh, psychological gesture. So psychological gesture is kind of a hearkening back to the old way of doing theater, do, do, of, of approaching acting, and it merges the two together. That's kind of how it, what it is. All right. And so what I was surrounded by was 60 people who were all feeling every emotion all the time for a solid week. So it was like hanging out with your students. Yeah, except my students are 
a lot more guarded than these people. I mean, every emotion you could feel, they were feeling it. Everything. And uh, also on top of this, I should point out, it was at my undergrad. It was held at my undergrad, Kent State University. Right. Um, that was weird. That was weird as fuck. I'm telling you. Uh, haven't been there in 25 years. So I spent a whole week there. So what's sticking in my craw is one of the things that Michael Chekhov says, um, said, he's long since dead, is uh, uh, art is, is impossible without joy. Art is impossible without joy. I know I'm paraphrasing that poorly, but, but art is impossible without joy. And I don't like that. No, I don't believe it. I mean, I, 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 you know, I think, I think there's a way to interpret that and say, yeah, sure, that's true. But uh, yeah, my gut says it's not that I don't like it. It's just that it, I think it's nine out of ten. You know, it's 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 horseshit. It, it 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 sounds good, and it makes somebody that's going through this grueling work that you're talking about, you know, this very difficult sort of psychological gesture, sort of this perspective in the right. kind of work. It it makes it feel like it's worth it because if you know, it's like. Art is only possible if you're a miserable piece of shit. Isn't really a great sales point, you know? No. And so well, and I, but you don't have to be a miserable piece of shit to be an artist. No, and you really, you really don't, and you don't really have to be filled with joy to be an artist either, right? You know, you just so have I, to, yeah. I actually had a, a I wouldn't say a run-in, but I had a head-to-head -head, uh, come when I was talking to the heads of the program. It was a, a day before the end of the program. I almost left. Because I just said, you just can't take it anymore. It, it's so I've heard the term, you know, we've heard the term toxic. I don't hear the term toxic positivity before. Uh, oh, yeah, David's. I never really, but I don't ever understood why he would accuse me of that. But yeah, no, I would never. He did. Oh, I can. Yeah, because you're a Pollyanna. That's why. It's because I'm uh, no, it's because I am an optimist. And that is Pollyanna. Optimism is far more difficult than pessimism. Anybody can be a fucking pessimist because all you like, everything sucks. Everything sucks. Well, you know, I I don't buy that. So thanks. I I absolutely agree that optimism is more difficult than pessimism. I one hundred percent agree. And I'm that, good at the optimism. The point is that it just takes so much work to be optimistic, which is kind of why it kind of makes you think that it's kind of bullshit. So, <laughs> but but anyway, uh, um, so my point with the whole joy thing was. So their argument, and I, I get it, because I even brought up, I said, look at look at Vincent Van Gogh. Vincent Van Gogh was miserable his entire fucking life. He was extremely un, un, un mentally unwell. But then this guy said, yes, but they he needed the joy that he experienced when he saw the Starry Night in order to, to capture that. So he wasn't fully miserable. I was like, of course he wasn't fully miserable. He would have been dead long before then. But... I just don't like this idea because I, I don't, I've never used the term toxic positivity before, but that felt toxically positive to me. You know what I mean? No. Well, it sounds to me like a sales pitch. I mean, I, and I get it. I mean, if you're going to try to sell, I mean, cause they charged money for you to come to this class. Well, yeah, they, they do. Well, I, I, yeah. And that, I mean, you know, and, and any, any, and I'm not saying that the, you know, the checkoff school of acting training is a cult, but Lots of sales pitch falls under that sort of rubric of the cult. And the cult says, we're going to tell you things. And if you do these things, then your life will be better. Or in this case, you will be a better actor. Well, you know, that's like saying that uh, only the best universities are the ones you can learn. You can learn from any fucking university. Go watch Good Will Hunting. You can learn from books. You don't have to have that experience to and the same thing with you know being an actor you don't have to take an acting class this is something 
for you to sharpen tools that you already you already have. Sure. And I think and I think the concept of oh you got to have joy. I mean cuz again, I take joy in other people's discomfort. Okay? So there's joy, but would you is that the kind of toxic because that's not toxically positive. That means I'm a dick and I just like to laugh at people in pain or in 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 discomfort. I love it. Okay. That's my joy. It's a dark joy. It's sort of a tainted sort of dingy joy and yet it's still a joy. I just laughed at it taint. I yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'd say, yeah. Uh, no, I mean, it, it goes to one of my other talking points, which is, um, you know, I, I, I love taking training. I, lo- I actually, and, and there's a lot about the Michael Chekhov uh, method that I, I love, that I really do. I don't love it all. I don't love it all. But that's because I don't believe in zealotry. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, you know, what, did you just give me a, so- a sound effect there? Was that not, don't move on? Is that what that is? No, that, no, that was a right on the point. Oh, yeah. You're on point because one of your talking points is being certain about anything is nothing more than zealotry. And I could not agree with you more. So, Well, I accuse you of it all the time when I'm, when I'm walking and listening to the podcast. So I listen to you while I'm talking. And you, you always make these these blanket, what's the word, um, these these blanket statements about things. Like, this is the way it is. And like, yeah, I, yeah. The, where, I, where I am, the older I get. And I, I think I'm exactly 10 years younger than you. I'm 47. So exactly. Uh, exactly. Well, maybe maybe not to the day, but yes. Yeah, close enough. Um, so uh I uh I just feel like knowing anything and being certain about anything is is, is pointless. You know what I mean? The more yeah. the more I uh, the more I dig into things, the more I, and I think like that's the thing that's that's ruining us as a culture is that we want to you know, this this is what is really greatly contributing to the the polarization of our of our culture is like it's you're you're either you're it's a binary now we see our culture as a binary you're either right or you're left which is nonsense because we've n- have never really been that way you know what i mean um until i don't know maybe the last 50 years so uh, uh well we've always had crazy and we've always had crackpot one of the things that I, and i will i will and i don't find a I won't, I don't consider this a defense. I don't feel defensive about it. But one of the things that I have realized because it's true of myself and I have to believe that there are enough people out there that are as, you know, that, that the basic humanity that's like, yeah, okay, I get it. You know, I like cheese. A lot of people like cheese. Okay. So maybe most people like cheese. Okay, good. So I'm kind of in tune with humanity. I'm rarely certain about almost anything. Right. My MO has been since. Christ, I didn't remember that, is the way that I find, personally, the way I find information out, the way I get to have my mind changed is to buy, make blanket uh, certain sounding platitudes so that people That's will right. fight back. It's like, because I really don't know, but I'm going to say, I'm going to say this thing and then see what kind of bullshit comes my way. And I'll have to sit through the bullshit to determine whether or not I'm even close to right or if or if I'm totally off fucking base and that's how I do things. I have to assume because that's how I do things that a lot of our very polarized sides, the sides are doing a similar thing. They may not be conscious of it. They may not be self-reflective of it and to understand it. But it's like somebody that comes up and they scream in your face, you know, uh, you know, I don't know. Just think of anything, you know, MAGA or trans rights or you know, name it. 
They have a, They are absolutely, this is the way, I have to believe somewhere back there, they really don't have a fucking idea, but this is something they're trying out. They want it to be true. And they have to say it like it's true so that they can kind of start parsing that out. I think that's especially true for people in their, you know, 20s. You know, right now, they don't know fucking shit. I know they don't know shit. But they're trying to know shit. And one way to know shit, the one way to figure that out is to make some blanket statements and see what the pushback is. And in the social media, that's all you get is pushback. So you have to sit through the fucking attacks to kind of find what the actual information is. I I mean, that's my guess. But, you know. So have I figured out, I think I've just, without you ever having said this to me, I think I just figured out your entire I guess, artistic strategy, if there is such a thing as an artistic strategy, is that most of the things that you say, you don't actually believe. Well, it's not that I don't believe them. It's that I, I, I sort of either I, I believe they could be true. I kind of maybe want to believe they're true, um, but I don't actually know. So I got to test it out. It's, Are it's you all like a scientist? You're, you're, pl- you're putting it out as a hypothesis and then testing that hypothesis? dude that's that's that who doesn't do that everybody i think i do maybe i'm just i don't really think i'm that unique i think that's kind of what everybody does and everybody does it constantly i mean you're pretty unique you you did used to sit around reading a newspaper uh you know uh in front of an audience and that was it you just read a newspaper that was yeah well it it was you know it was like you know well again you know to me it what it reminds me of it yes i i would say nick green once and this is fucking years and years and years ago um he he said in a, a review i can't remember what the show was but he said in a review he said don hall's directing style is like a practical joke on both the audience and the performers yeah. and 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 i and i i agree with that you know i mean i don't think that's completely out of bounds um, and when I talked to him about it later, you know, cause of course, you know, it's like, I, I called him and we were talking and I said, Hey, tell me a little bit about that. Cause I, I really like that. Oh, he said, Oh, you like that? I said, yeah, that was, I thought that was totally cool. He says, Oh, I totally meant that in, in the most disparaging way. I said, Oh, I said, okay. So what does that mean? And he said, I don't know. He said, you're less an artist and more a behavioral scientist. And I went, dude, you're saying that as a negative, but I totally fucking love that because that is exactly, that's my artistic strategy is I'm a behavioral scientist. I'm trying to figure out what makes me tick. And in the process of trying to figure out what makes me tick, I'm trying to provoke people to figure out how they tick. Again, stripping all the good lofty intentions away. I'm mostly just an asshole who likes to laugh at people in discomfort. So, you know, either- to what. What your second wife once said to me, I've talked about this several times with you, but like your second wife once said to me that I was the dent in the Cadillac of theater. (laughs) And I'm pretty sure that she meant that as a compliment, but I'm not positive. But you took it as one. I absolutely took it. And, And isn't that the point? Who gives a fuck what she meant? You took it as a compliment. You own it as a compliment. You remember it as a compliment. And it, it frames how you see yourself as an artist. I think that's cool. I think that's I, right cool. now yeah. I'm, I'm in the middle of directing this exceedingly weird adaptation of uh, Macbeth here in St. George that maybe five people will come and see. And uh, I don't care. 
Uh, it's a wonderful realization I've come to about uh, my relationship with the audience, which is, um, I don't don't care. Here's here's one of your things. Audiences are overrated. I want to hear about that. Absolutely overrated. They're tell me about this. I think that if you so the uh, one thing that I I, you didn't talk about was that I was an artistic director for sixteen years. Yes, you were sixteen years of four different companies, and I spent so much time choosing plays that would appeal to an audience that would sell that would sell 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 um this was true when i ran a children's theater this is true when i ran two companies in chicago it was true when i i worked for a living history museum i was always trying to sell and i found that it's not that audiences are overrated. It's that if you let the audience dictate what you do, you're going to fail. It's it's a surefire. Well, dude, it's the same. It's the same. That's a. I think that's a brilliant lesson to learn. I I, I have to say I've never been in thrall of that particular dilemma, but, but you've seen the shows I used to direct. I mean, I've never been of the mind that I needed to cater to an audience. I only wanted to cater to me. It not, made not. me laugh. And if it made me laugh and if it made, and I thought it was interesting, the only reason I have Literate Ape, honest to God, David went to Literate so he had a place to write. The only reason I want to have Literate is because I'm a greedy motherfucker and I don't like what most reading, what writing is. And so write me stuff I want to read because really I don't give a shit. I just want to read it. I'm hungry for that. I am fully aware of that about you because as yeah. you remember, the way that I met you was in 2001 when I <laughs> played a talking German shepherd. Yep. With German accent and I had fangs in my mouth. Yep. <laughs> and I walked around with the use of a cane and that show opened on September 13th, 2001. Uh-huh. Both of you who saw that show thought it was really strange. So <laughs> more if you could the thing you say that but what you don't recall when you say that is that that show actually did very well in terms of the audience. We had, dude, you don't remember we did bang up business on that thing. Did we? Yes, we had great yes. audiences. We had great audiences. Wow. That show, that show despite the, the hugeness, its length, that was a fucking long goddamn show. Its it? length, its Oh, my goodness. God, it was long. That's right. And I was nice the whole fucking time. You know, and, and despite the fact that it was based on a very obscure science fiction novel, that it was that, that there were so many parallels to 9-11 that we had no idea were there because it hadn't happened until two days before we opened. Right. Um, you know, uh, you know, and, and the reviewers, for the most part, gave it decent reviews. They were sort of like, what the fuck is this? But that was almost everything WDP did. What the fuck? Why would you do this? It was sort of a common thread. But we did very good. That, that show made money. Right. I, so I, my, my, I guess my point is in, in that audiences are overrated. I, it feels like I, I said kind of a, I made an aphorism basically that's, that's like a, a no duh kind of a statement. But the truth of the matter is um, it, it's that I, I reached this point and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm damn near 50 now. And, I, and, and it, I've reached a point where I'm like, I don't care. I mean, I do. I genuinely do care. I want the audience that comes to get a very fulfilling experience, whatever that may be, whether, you know, whether we're coming in and the experiences that you come out vomiting, fine, great. As long as you vomit everything you got out of you. It's the data. Never be boring. Anything but boredom is the right answer. So I just don't, uh, I just don't, um, uh, uh, oh shit. What was I just talking about? I, I just think that um, uh, audiences are, are overrated. 
And if anybody's ever concerned with whether or not you are, you know, you're not getting as many hits as you want, as you're not getting any, uh, any many t- takes on what you want. Fuck that. It doesn't matter. Do what is who you are, do what you want to do. And, um, eventually, eventually someone's going to notice or they won't or, or maybe not. The thing about it is, and it's, and I've said this before, I've said this a million times is if, if you're, if you're creating art so that you are either famous or you make a lot of money, you're just a fucking tourist. You're not an artist. Artists, that's not why that's not why artists create art. Artists do not create art so that they will be famous or make a lot of money. Artists create art because they have to create art. They need to create. Now, some artists create and it does. It catches on the lottery, they win the lottery, they get uh, they they get a lot of fame, they get a lot of whatever it happens to be. I'll give you an example that I think is, is perfect. Um, Dave Desmulchin. You remember, do you know Dave? Yeah, I remember him, yeah. Okay. So Dave Desmulchin, uh, while we were doing the I think it was the se- yeah, it was a it was the twelfth year anniversary of Metal Loot of the Amazing Science of Mind Review, and he was in that cast, right? And at one point during rehearsals, he said he had to take a week off from rehearsals because he was in a he was doing a film right well nobody's gonna find you know no you didn't tell us what the film was but it's like okay you know you got to do your thing we'll just work around that right he's gonna be gone is, for a week is this the dark well, night yeah and and basically he has literally two scenes in but one big one in the dark night and he has no lines yeah right and yeah, but he's, he's is, got memorable no lines. Well, yeah. again, like I'm saying, he does. This is a guy who created art because he was excited about art. You know, I mean, granted, at just after, just before that, he'd been really struggling with alcoholism and drug addiction. I mean, he had he had a rough he had a rough time, but he was coming out of that, and he was just doing shows to be doing shows. He like if you're doing a WDP show, you are not doing it for high fame, glory or cash. That was never that was never what we offered. That, that was never true. there. It was like do this thing cuz it's cool. Do it cuz it's cool to do and maybe people see it, maybe they won't. Well, he's kind of in that mindset. He does the dark night. He literally has one scene and like the lightning struck you know, it just, he was at the right moment, the right time in the right movie, in the right one scene and did the right thing in that scene. And all of a sudden doors started opening for him and he got prisoners and he got this, and he's made his own movie. And then all of a sudden he's in the fucking uh, MCU, which means he's not doing anything artistic, but God is making bank. And so, you know, I mean, and, but he still is doing his comic books, you know, his, his, his uh, Dracula, thing comic books and he's you know some people just have that happen but i don't think i think it's and it's here get we'll get uh cliche but it's a little bit like the zenero man if you're aiming for the big bucks you're gonna miss you have to aim aim away from the big bucks and maybe it'll hit the big bucks you know i mean you can't focus on you know what i mean yeah, you're and, talking about the uh, archery, yeah, 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 exactly. And so, yeah, so I, I don't think it's that audiences. I think audiences are not overrated per se. I think audiences are required for you to at least have someone to watch the shit you do. Otherwise, you're just well, you're Samuel talking. Beckett. Samuel Beckett wanted yeah. no audiences at his plays at the end. At yeah, the yeah. So, well, yeah, it's like it's like Miles Davis just turned his fucking back on his audience. He hated his audience. I, I thought that, that. Because he developed stage fright. I thought that's what it was. Yeah, that's one rumor. Uh, you know, I've read enough of his, of, of his biographies to I, I I believe he just hated 
he just hated them um, because of things that he said in interviews and things like that. Right, wait, you know, wait, again, are you uh, are you certain of that? No, I'm not. Any more than your che- any more than your checkup guys were certain that Van Gogh found some fucking joy in looking at Starry Star Night. They didn't meet the guy. They had a fucking idea of what he knows. That's a guess. The best, it's a fucking guess. Not even an educated guess. So yeah, I get it. But no, I think audiences. I think I think behaving is such. It, David and I were talking about this just off off mic uh, the other day, where he and I are in an interesting position in that he's feeling you know i mean he's he's and i think you can probably you're a little familiar with this he he's unsatisfied with sort of the box that his job has put him in now he's making like three times as much money as i make not a surprise doesn't bother me i think it's cool however he wants to make more money but he's got two kids two dogs a wife a house he just bought you know i mean and he's feeling that pressure that i can't lose this job right right and and because he feels that way he feels like he has to behave in a certain way that is maybe not him that is not specific to him in order to keep said job i on the other hand like i said no wife no kids no dog got a fucking apartment i'm here to help my dad and i don't give a fuck about this job no i don't it's not like i just don't show i like i show up with no pants but ultimately, this job is, it's fine. It's super easy. I'm good at it. I like the inmates of the asylum that I work with for the most part. But if they were to fire me for being myself, I don't give a shit. I'll find another job. Now, there's a benefit to having very little moss attached to the stone as it rolls. Sure, sure. And, <laughs> and, and the experience of going from job to job to job. I mean, I've had more jobs than most people can even count. Well, and, and I... I'm I'm one of those people that, yeah. like, like as you know, yeah, uh, I have been uh, fired, laid off, uh, from so many different jobs just from since 2010 alone. Yeah, and the fact that I I I think that if there was advice that I could have given myself 13 years ago, it was that it's all going to be okay. You'll still be who you are. There's no change. And that's true for whether or not if I were to go and become you know, get a, a great gig directing a show on Broadway or something like that, I will still be who I was before I got it. Yeah, yeah. You know I mean, and, and that's and all I'll, perception. And if, so. if I get fired from that gig, I'll still be the same guy that yeah. got fired before that. Yeah, and I think so. bosses. I think boss. That's my put. My point being, bosses are a bit like that audience. You can either cater to them and hope they like you. Um. Or you can do the thing that you feel like is important and you do it your way. And if you're, if you happen to have been in touch with enough of the, oh, here comes the word zeitgeist. Um, then <laughs> if, if my students are listening to this, they're going to laugh their ass off at you saying zeitgeist, by the way, because I hammer that word home to them all the time. It's anyway. the worst word ever. But if, if you can, if, if you, what you're doing, you can't, that's the thing about the zeitgeist is that you can't force it. You can't, you can't, be it's sort of like this is what i'd say that this maybe would appeal to your students is it's you can't make a viral video you can't say i'm going to make a viral video because virility has absolutely nothing to do with your intent you just say i'm going to make a video and if enough people go i want to see it it will go viral but you can't create from the get-go a viral video because that's but there's so many work but so many people fun- live lives. They, some people make have careers that way. They're content creators, and they they do. Try- 
Well, they do try, but the reality is the most of them, when and, and like you think about like the people that are actually making a living on TikTok or YouTube, they didn't start with a viral video. They started with videos about their fucking trash or cooking or motherhood or whatever they were, you know, whatever was their thing. They right. just did a thing and then it became viral and then they capitalized on that. That's that's not the same thing as knowing that you're creating something that's going to go viral. Doesn't work that way. Same thing with art. I guarantee you Shakespeare, just going back to you know, doing Macbeth, Shakespeare, he's this old fucking guy. Oh, you know, okay. He might have been abroad. We don't really know. Um, Probably. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he wasn't when he wrote those plays, it's not like he went, Hey, come here. I'm gonna write this fucking thing. And 450 years from now, they're still gonna be doing it in colleges. He didn't it's not what happened. He went, I'm writing just do it in colleges, they do it everywhere. Well, they do it everywhere, but you know, but at no point when he was doing it. He was the lowest form of human existence. He was a fucking artist and it's made no money. And, you know, and he was a degenerate and he hung out with. He, he died a wealthy man. Well, but he didn't start a wealthy man. No, he, he well, started he's to a middle class. Uh, yeah. He's an artist. So it's not like he had a lots of respect, but he, he went to college. He didn't have a college. He, he ended up writing things that happened to be so good and so. Not even that necessarily good. I think they're good, but that's subjective. I they, they they were sticky enough with enough people at the time that it made a name. So he got to do another one, and that was I, I disagree enough. though. I, I, if you're saying that he wasn't writing to make money, he was writing to make money. He, he was. I think. No, I think fact, he was right. No, I think he. I think he was writing to make money, but he wasn't writing to be history historical. No. No, you know, I mean, it's like not. What is that? It's like it's like Dickens. Dickens, if you've read Dickens, and and he well, wrote, he was a serialist. Yeah, Everything. he got paid. He got paid by the word, which is why when right. you read Great Expectations, the first fucking seven hundred years of reading that fucking book book is just him ex just defining and 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 explaining the fucking marshes. It's like page after page of the fucking marshes. It's like, oh, that's right. He was paid by the word. He wants to tell you every fucking blade of goddamn grass in the fucking marshes. So yeah, I got it. <laughs> yeah, no, I um, I don't know what the hell we're talking about, but yeah, it, it, in the uh, yeah, you go ahead. Will you prompt me? Whatever, whatever it is. Well, I, I'm I'm just getting hit the last one because uh, you know, really? at some point, you know, but. Uh, I mean, you know, you've got the emergence of Karens are really a result of a failing socioeconomic oh, structure. Oh, that's easy. That's, that's the fucking funniest thing I ever read. But I'm, I'm I can it's fire so that one off real quick. All right, bring it. It's that we are. Uh, uh, think about this. So I flew. Right. This could, this goes into the whole thing about about flying. Flying. Did you also say that the airline industry should be burned down completely, forcing us to start over? So we're going to match those two together. Tell yeah. Me. So the two of them together. Uh, I got stuck in Cleveland. That's right. I got stuck in Cleveland uh, after this this, uh, this week long intensive, and uh, I couldn't get back because Frontier Airlines uh, canceled. They delayed my flight, so I stayed with my brother that night. My brother lives in Avon Lake, and then um, uh, then they uh, 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 what did they do? Uh, then they canceled that flight, and so I didn't get. It took me like thirty six hours to get home to go from Cleveland to Vegas. Not not very far. I just, I just want to, I just, I'm going to let you finish, but I just want to interrupt you and say, you know, I'm not, I'm not a victim blamer. I'm really not. Um, I'm not a victim blamer. Because I was flying Frontier? Is that the problem? But, but, but if at three o'clock in the morning, 
you suddenly get seized by uh, like some sort of drunken hunger and you decide to go to that Popeye's on the wrong side of town and get a chicken sandwich and then you get violently ill because of it. That ain't nobody's fault, but your own. You, if yeah, you fly yeah. frontier, you fly frontier. You have built your fucking shitty bed. I to completely eradicate that. I'm going to completely annihilate said because my wife flew two days later on fucking Delta and had the same fucking problem. So no, every single fucking the same thing. Every time I fly, there's a problem. Every time. On, on the other hand, maybe I'm not saying it this, that that frontier is the Popeyes. Perhaps Cleveland is the Popeyes. And, and the Cleveland airport in particular is is like a real rundown Greyhound station. But the point is, is that as we as we erode away as a as a culture, which we are, I don't care what you yeah. say. We we're eroding away as a culture. I know your Pollyannish views. Oh, I don't we're think it's right back. I but, don't. No, I don't think we're going to bounce right. I don't think we we're eroding as a culture. That if you look at the 1700s as they dealt with brand new technology, the printing press, and you read, go back and read some of like the personal essays of people during that time period. They were having the same sort of existential crises that we're having now. Sure. And guess what? Leeches were the secret. The culture, cult, but culture didn't fucking die, my friend. Culture didn't die. It's not an erosion. It's an evolution. Grow up. All right. There <laughs> it is eroding. We hit, we hit our zenith in the 60s, the 50s and 60s, and now we're going down. We just are. It's just the way it is. Oh, I, it's an economic power. We have, we have gone down. We, well, the it, United it, States it, is leveling out. It, dude, you can only sustain that much badassery for so long. And after World War II, we were just, we had more fucking money. We had more arms. We were just riding high. We started having more fucking babies. The thing about it is, this is... The, you're talking about you're you're 47, you're almost 50, and you're starting not to give shit. I'm 57, and what I'm realizing is if 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 the if the human experience is always striving for more, then I'm done with the human experience. Because right now, all I really want is less. I want less. And I think the United States is at a place where we still have people that want more, the constant growth, constant growth at any case, any cost. That I cannot think that's the human it, experience. I think that's the capitalist experience. I don't think. No, I, I don't think humans human. always want. I don't always want more. I don't I always want more. human beings. That it's why there is this perception. It's why the matrix really lands heavy. Human beings have been the fucking cockroaches of the planet since the Absolutely. very beginning, and Absolutely. it's because it's because. And again, it's like okay, so you are a tribe. You are in. The Middle East, David Himmel's great ancestors are there with you because that's where he's from, apparently. Um, and uh, and then over in the corner is that guy from the Memphis uh, that he's just like, oh, oh, oh. see or eat him. It, well, it doesn't matter. He's my ancestor. And, you know, and the thing about it is like, all right, we've got to We've got to make sure we've got some stuff saved up, saved up, stored up for the winter because there's no, you know, there's no food in the winter. So we got to make sure that things are stored up. The human thing says, well, there's no amount that we, that there's just no limit to how much we can store. We have to store so much. We have to constantly store. We have to have so much stored up that we don't even have to work next year. So all we can do is, and then it's just more and it's more and it's more. And I think that is humanity. That is how humanity some, has grown. That's how civilization like has grown. No, some humans are like that. All it's a wonderful like life, Don Hall. It's a wonderful life. That one woman. She goes up to uh, 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 George Bailey, right? And she, 
Uh, he's asking, what do, you, what do you need to get by? And, and this guy says, I'll take $250, right? And he's like, you don't need all that. because he's like, I'll take my $250 or whatever. Okay. So then this other woman comes by. She's like, I'll take 20. So he gives her 20. This other one comes by, gives her 20. This other one comes up and she says, uh, I'll take 17.50 because that's all she needed. Because she knew yeah. it took me I know, for Brandon, she was Brandon, I, know, I, I know this is going to come a shock to you, but that was a fictional movie with fictional human beings. That woman doesn't exist. There's not a fucking chance in a billion. She absolutely art. exists. No, no, she doesn't. She was a fictional character. She was a fictional character. That human being was made up on a script, and an actor said the line. Are I'm you telling me you. you've never done something like that? You were even talking about the other day how you you offered to give a, a homeless guy uh, some money. Yeah, yeah. And his reaction that's, was that's a seven. Yeah, I know. There's an idea. How he responded was was not the point, but you offered to pay for uh, you offered to buy him something. That's a seventeen fifty because I'm at a place because I'm at a place where less is better than more. Yes. But the human experience, the human experience, the evolution of humanity is more, 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 more. It's not a capitalist thing because if you think it's capitalist, then you haven't studied communism or socialism at all. I've studied communism. You know you have, and they're no, they're they're no better. It's just because I, you know I, what? I, and I'm not saying that that it is. Is not is communism? What's here's the thing that I realized. Okay, so you got to find the common denominator. Okay, all right. So I've been married. I've been married three times. Right. And I realized that there's only one really common experience in all three marriages is that on a day to day basis, all my wives really wanted to make sure I knew was what a fucking pain in the ass I was. Like, right. here's how you could change. Here's you're not good enough. You, you do this, do it my way, do it constantly. So, what I had to realize is that the common denominator is basically I'm a pain in the ass. Sure. So, so I'm not good for any marriage because I'm so, always going to be a pain in the ass. So what I'm going to say about humans. Package that up and sell it for 1995 and you're a capitalist. We've, we've been married to capitalism. There's some people who have been married to communism. There have been people that have married to socialism. You know what the funny thing is? The one common denominator, the reason all three systems fail so miserably is because they're human beings are in charge of them and they're a pain in the ass. I agree with that. Okay, back to the Karen point. So yeah, in order Karen. to get anything truly done, you have one has to become a Karen. I had to become a Karen in order to get in order to get on a flight home. There were so many Karens at that gate; they had to call the cops. They had to call the police to that gate. That's the we're point. All Karens, I agree. Where I don't think it's a failed socioeconomic theory. I think I think the reality is we're all Karens because we're all Karens. We've always been Karens, and the thing about it is we didn't know we were all Karens until we all had a goddamn video camera in our pockets. And as yeah. soon as we all had a video camera in our pockets, we all went, hey, I can complain about Samantha. I think she's a witch. I can't prove it, but I'm going to prove she's a witch. We're all Gladys Kravitz. I don't know who Gladys Kravitz is. Is that really Lenny Kravitz? No, Gladys Kravitz is the neighbor of Bewitched, of Samantha and Darren Stevens in the Bewitched sitcom who's always trying to prove that samantha is a witch so she's lisa bonet's mother-in-law is what you're saying i don't think she no she was an old white lady anyway that was good that was good and last thing and then we're gonna and then we're gonna get into uh a rorschach you say this is weird it said lastly one of my students recently found an air tag on her car apparently someone was tracking her for sex trafficking purposes she took it to the shop where the folks there and i'm gonna have to ask you what shop this is because i'd love to know 
what shop tells you this, that they've been getting lots of young women coming in with this issue. Tell me about this, this sex trafficking air tag thing. And I, and I desperately want to know what shop you go to when you feel like you're being filed for sex trafficking. Because so, I want to know where that shop is. Like she, has, she has an iPhone. I, I'm a Luddite and I have a, an Android. But she has, a, she has an iPhone. And on that iPhone, there's an app yeah, that will tell you if someone has is tracking you. Yeah, I've got that. And, yeah, and so one of the things that they will do is they will take these air tags that you usually use for luggage, mm-hmm. but they'll attach it to your car, and then they'll find it'll wait until you are in the, the most vulnerable position, vulnerable, vulnerable position, vulnerable, vulnerable <laughs> position, uh, and then they will they'll kidnap you, and now you're a uh, uh, you're a sex slave for the rest of your very short life. So, um, so yeah, she, um, uh, she told me about it and I'm here in St. George, Utah, and which is not a very big town. It's about 200,000 people. Also, yeah. It's not small, but it's not big either. And she took it in to get the oil change. That's all, she, all it was. She just took it into like a dealership or whatever it was. And they said, Oh, by the way, here's another thing that's going on. Would you please look for a tag? And they didn't find the tag because they these people saw her go to the police. They tracked her going to the police. Oh shit! And removed it. So then they came back and removed that. But they found the uh, uh, the people at the dealership or wherever found adhesive sticking to the base of the wind windshield well, which I don't even know where that is. And I come from a car family, and I don't even know where that is. And um. So that's where it was. And I, like, you have to really get up there. Uh, you have to get inside the car to get to that point. So um, uh, anyway, sorry. <clears throat> so they, when she said that to them, she said that that's a common complaint that they've been receiving over the last few months from young women in this area. Um, that a lot of women have been coming in saying, hey, I'm being tracked. Will you look for this air tag? And they either find it or they find where it was. So, uh, yeah, it's, that's really fucking disturbing. Uh, okay. I don't want to be a victim blamer. No, I have nothing. I just wanted to start the sentence with, I just wanted, I just wanted to start a sentence after you said that with, I don't want to be a victim blamer, but cause that really means I'm, I'm now going to be a victim blamer. <laughs> well, no, there are two things that really exist. Zero victim blaming. Yeah. Zero victim blaming on that. Uh, well, there are three things. Yeah, one is the obvious thing, right? One's the obvious thing that that she's being that this is happening. Number two, it's that well, what if you don't have an iPhone? How are you going to track that? Do you know what I mean? Or even worse, what if you don't have the money to have a phone at all? In which case, that's a that's a pretty exclusionary thing, right? So, in other words, basically, sex traffickers are elitist. Absolutely. Well, they're going to okay. go for the yeah, and, and money equals power. They're going to go for the weakest, right? Okay. If you go for the strongest, Liam Neeson is going to get on the phone with you and he's going to tell you that he's a very special set of skills. There you go. And he, and all I can say is tell yeah, you. Yeah. And that I, he was good. And, I, you know, I, yeah, I think it's the thing about it is, it's, again, with technology, <laughs> human beings are basically suck holes. And they, when they get technology, you're almost always going to have. Almost always. I mean, it's just consistent across the board. Somebody's going to take that really cool, like air tags are created so you don't lose your keys. So you put it in your wallet, you lose your wallet, you can find your wallet. You know, it's like that kind of stuff. That's what they were, that's what they were designed for. Of course, 
people are going to misuse the technology in a way that foments a horror show for somebody. No, remind what it reminds me of is uh and you know, and it's 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 very funny to me because I really didn't uh, you know, I it, it, during my third marriage, uh, there were moments in Vegas where I was like, yeah, I don't know where she's at, you know, because she would just go off and, you know, I mean, what we found out later was that sure, she was- Sure, I have the book. Yeah, she was giving blowjobs <laughs> for money. But I, at the time, I just, I didn't know where she was. But, and one of the things that I knew that she didn't know was that my phone was connected to the Prius and that all I had to do is turn that on and I could, I could find where the Prius was at any time. I could find out where. No, I never did it because I because I felt like that was like that was shitty. It was distrustful. It was you know it it was just that's not the kind of husband that I want to be. I mean, I I maybe should have been because because the night that it all kind of came to a head, I act. That was when I actually did that. Well, that's all that would happen is that you would it would just expedite the process is all that would yeah it's like i went okay the outcome just expedite the process yeah yeah and so uh in some ways i wish i'd sex trap no i know no sex trap so my other part my other thing that really infuriates me is that i live like i said i live in saint george utah very conservative community the city council here is really really yeah all they really seem to be concerned with is keeping trans people keeping drag shows out of the out of the the, the city that's it that's all which hey, hey truth be told come on Right, get them out. Get the drag shows. Out. Yeah, fuck off. Get them out. Get them out of here. <laughs> get them out. Seriously, get them out. Line them up against the wall. That's what we get. The thing about and it then, is, and then and then judge them. Get and then the, start. Ra- here's the thing that bothers me about that whole argument is it makes no on its surface it makes no fucking sense because if you know anything about drag shows. Drag shows are not transgender people. They are gay men dressed exaggerated women. That's what drag shows are. I don't think they that, care. It's not the same thing as a transgender person. It's not I don't think the they care universe. whether you're trans. I don't care just, whether you are gay. It's they just, just unless, unless you are blonde, uh, blue-eyed, uh, I think translucent skin, I guess. Uh, your organs have to be visible through the skin here, I think, is the is the deal. Um, you, you have to speak in, uh, the language of Moroni. Uh, I'm pretty sure. I don't know. I ran out of steam on that one, but, um, the point is that they don't, point is they don't um, they're not taking any action to actually safeguard this community. They could, they could do something about, they could get on the police about, you know, creating things about the, you know, like, like create a task force for this sort of thing, but no, no, they're going to run the drag shows out of town. You know, got young women who are not asking for this. Brandon, I don't want to be a victim blamer, but. (laughs) And now, we're sack of the news. Number one. Everybody in the United States is getting depressed, CDC says. Yeah. Getting depressed. We've been depressed. That's what it says. I'm just telling you. I mean, you and I have talked about this because I, I take SSRIs. I'm on uh, Lexapro. So, you know, and you think that I shouldn't because you think that I'm I'm less of a human being. I'm less of a man. I that, never said that. I, let me keep going with this. All right. I'm trying to insult you. So- oh, okay. <laughs> Rock on. Bring it on, man. <laughs> no, no. But uh, 
I do it uh, because I battled through depression for a very long time. I mean, for an extremely long time. Uh, I had suicidal ideation. I had all these different things going on. And then I got like the lowest dose of Lexapro and I got on it. And it's not, I don't feel great all the time, but I feel pretty good. So, you know, and yeah, I think the reason why we're depressed is again, this is a no duh. We are, you and I are having this conversation through a screen. We're not supposed to do this. We're not supposed to be talking to the, we're not supposed to be staring to these, these cell phones nonstop. We're not supposed to be. Well, the argument, the, the argument can be, we're not supposed to be reading ink blots on paper to communicate ideas because that didn't exist before technology you're right you're right we should we should be fucking dying at the age of 30 years old because that's old age and being eaten by animals outside and accidentally burning ourselves because we don't have to make a fucking fire the idea of 30 is that's a that's a common misconception people think that that's what that was the life expectancy of people prior to modern medicine that's not true that's just because everybody died before they were five. So many people, so many children died before they were five. Lots of people lived in their 70s and 80s. Isaac Newton lived to be like 90 years old or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. So you well, don't know. But the average age was 35. That was the average. Average, average. But that's only because they were, you know, because children are, you know, uh, well, uh, children. And we didn't have anything to combat pneumonia. And, and if you really want to look at the, the big head, will end it anyway. So you know. the, big, the big killer of those of the time period before modern medicine was uh, pneumonia. Killed everybody. It killed yeah. everybody. Number two, yeah. Number two, jury awards twenty five point six million dollars to white Starbucks manager fired after the arrests of two black men. Now, let me give you a little context because yeah, this, where is this? this was in Camden, New Jersey. Basically, in April 2018, a Philadelphia store manager called the police on two black men who were sitting in the coffee shop without ordering anything and they wouldn't leave. So Phillips was then the regional manager of operations in Philadelphia who had nothing to do with the arrests basically was ordered to put a white manager who also wasn't involved on administrative leave because because of the incident basically it went viral you know basically they told these two black guys who were just in a starbucks and they were literally just loitering that's what they were doing they were loitering sure. you know yeah. and i'm sure i'm sure in the reparations argument loitering should be covered if all you want to do is sit on your ass and, and just take up space that's i've been kicked out of places for loitering before yeah but you're not black you're not a young black man so anyway sure. that went that man that's true that went uh viral and she got she had to fire somebody she said no i'm not going to fire that person because there's no she had nothing to do with it and then she got fired she went to court sued starbucks and they just had to pay her 20 basically 26 million bucks well okay a lot to respond to there i i think 26 million is a is a lot uh i'll take because if you're really talking about what what kind of um Oh, it went viral, right? Is that right? Mm-hmm. Oh, because it went viral, that's how you get the twenty-six million. That's right. Yeah, that's that's right. Okay. Uh, it sounds like a just response because you know if somebody is loitering, you know you can't have like we were at least the way I was trained. Um, if somebody's there and they are not, uh, you know, anytime in the many jobs that I've had, if somebody is not buying the product or they're not a accompanying someone who has bought the product then um you don't really have a reason to be there and you're taking up space from people who have who are purchasing the product right yes yes so 
as long as you told these people that these loiterers that they you need you need to go and you told them into an in respective way and it wasn't hostile or aggressive or whatever what's wrong with it there you go and, uh, i don't know Never, Don, I, i'm with you i'm with you on that number three from the new york times how defund the police failed well, yeah, they, well, but but it's but it's it's really, and that's what I thought was interesting about the articles. The article breaks it down really. If you had to boil down why the New York Times, this particular writer thought defund the police failed, was that not a not enough people, uh, not enough people were appropriately educated to understand what it meant. That was that was the that was the conclusion pretty much of this was that they just didn't that the activists that believed in it had been fighting it for years. They've been pushing this agenda for years. And when it came to that that access point with George Floyd, um, they just didn't communicate well enough to the people who didn't believe in it for to convince them. That's really what, how the, yeah. and also that conservatives really fought against it. That, I mean, that was really, that's how apparently, according to New York Times, that's how defund the police failed. Defund the police failed for a host of reasons. Uh, first of all, the left is, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the left is uh, just the worst at branding itself. Just absolutely the worst. Uh, you know, the right is very good at it. Make America great again. Oh, absolutely. I want America. Don, don't you want America to be great again? Absolutely. I want it to be great again. What does that actually mean? I don't know. But I can get behind that very simple blanket statement, right? Very simple blanket statement. It was great before. I want it to be great again. Defund the police, though, that requires an explanation. You, yeah. Because when you say defund the police, the first thing that my brain thinks of is, oh, completely take the money away and there will be no police force left. That's that's kind of what it implies, yeah. Right. Even though that's not what it means. It that's means... What, well, no, I think this is because you're, you're going to do this because I get this. I think the people that came up with defund the police did not mean it meant refund the police or reshuffle re it. No, I think they meant fucking defund and get rid of the police. You think so? The, the people that came up with the slogan like 20 years ago, absolutely. I believe they meant get rid of the police. Then when it became popular during the George Floyd riots, defund the police, the people that were like actually going, no, we that's a stupid slogan. We can't do that. They had to try to rebrand it midstream because it was suddenly going viral to this defund the police. And then the, you know, so yeah. And then the conservatives got on it because, oh, it obviously means this. I think that's what it meant. I think at the beginning of the term, when somebody said, hey, let's do a rally, defund the police, what they meant was we're getting rid of the cops. I think it became, oh, no, 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 no. We didn't mean get rid of the cops. We meant, out reallocate the funds blah 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 well you know sorry a little too little too late and that's exactly it was bad branding i think you're a thousand percent correct I, I think that's one of the main reasons i think another reason <clears throat> excuse me another reason is that um uh well there's a bunch of reasons one is that a lot of places didn't actually defund the police at all in fact they actually increased funding to the police i think lori lightfoot increased funding to chicago police yes, she did so that didn't happen she and then Minnesota legitimately defunded the police and uh, it fucked their city for the next two generations. Sure. And 
Then there's the other thing of like places like San Francisco, the Bay Area in particular, is, is really under the microscope for saying that de-escalating or what is the word? Uh, just decriminalizing a lot of things, decriminalizing shoplifting for under like $800 or something like that, that that has um, uh, uh, done a great deal of damage to the city. I don't, I've heard, I've not, I mean, I've never been to the Bay Area, to be honest. So I've never actually been there. So like, but I've heard re- this is where I'm not certain. Uh, I'm not super certain <laughs> that that's actually true. I've heard conflicting reports that yes, you see rampant crime there. You see human feces on the street. You see, or it's that oh, it's being blown out of proportion. Kind of the same way it happens to Chicago all the time. That's exactly what I was thinking is that everybody thinks they know Chicago. I lived in Chicago for 30 years and I got mugged twice. But right. for the most part, it was a pretty safe city. But if you were to hear anybody here in Kansas, you mentioned Chicago. They're like, oh, my God, it's murder city. I lived in Chicago for 10 years, yeah. and I got someone broke into my car once, and that was it. So and I so got mugged in New Haven, Connecticut. <laughs> so I, look, I look at the, the news about San Francisco, and what I hear is Chicago. It, it's like, okay, I'm certain there's feces on the ground somewhere. Um, as I am certain there's feces on the ground somewhere here in Wichita, Kansas. I, I think certain there are homeless drug addicts roaming around, as I am certain they are roaming around in Des Moines. Um, I think the, the long and the short of the way we look at the police is the same way that we look at the military, is that nothing happened uh, that is going to improve anything. D- did we need to take some of that funding away from some of those places? Yes. There's no reason why bumfuck Ohio needs... Uh, a battering ram or any kind of like uh tank you know whatever those these, these like the extreme mili- paramilitary you know uh things that they've got going on there's no reason for that right yeah, um, not at all but they have it anyway because they've got the funding whereas schools are constantly just leeching money they have nothing you know like basically the point is that we we do give too much money to the police we do give too much money to the military and we need to figure out a way to get that into the right pots, you know, back into like education. And, and I'm, I'm education is everything to me. For me, it's, I don't think a teacher can be paid enough. I think a teacher could be, should be paid at least six figures minimum. Uh, well, if they're good. Yeah. Yeah. If they're good. Oh yes, absolutely. If they're good. If they don't, if they're not good, they don't get the job. But yeah, I say that as a well, teacher. Yeah. That, <laughs> and, 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 and as a former teacher, I, I can't say that's entirely the truth that they don't get the job, but yeah. then sometimes, sometimes, you know, that's like bad things are going to happen. But I agree with you. education needs to be by far more in terms of what we spend in the military industrial complex. We should spend so much more on education. We're fucked up that way. Number was this four. How will the writers strike end WGA weighs in as SAG strike looms? Um, I don't think the writers are going to get what they want. I just don't. I think it's we're in a new place. Uh, the same argument that we gave to coal miners of like, well, hey, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry, bro. But, uh, you, you know, you can't uh, you, you're working in an industry that is uh, it's outdated. Well, guess what, writers? So are you. Yeah, that's well, like, it's like I've said before, at any point when workers are 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 going up against a combination of bead and new technology, the workers always lose. Absolutely. New technology allows greed to foster or flourish in a way that just greed by itself can't even possibly do. This is new technology. This is greed. 
this is going to be, you know, they're not going to get what they want. And we are going to have AI generated scripts and uh, already. Yeah, yeah, we already do, but it's, but it's going to, it's going to get more rampant. Uh, You know, the thing is, I hope they get something out of it, but I also hope. I think they'll get enough to make it feel like a Pyrrhic, like like a a Pyrrhic victory for them, basically. It'll be a Pyrrhic victory. I just hope they're smarter than newspapers and journalism, uh, movie theaters, uh, shopping malls, all these other industries that have been destroyed by the internet. Uh, I hope that the writers at least have some sort of exit strategy. <laughs> That's a little smarter than what the fuck? It's not fair. This glut. That is not a winning strategy either. It's not fair. Nobody gives two shits. No one cares how fair it is. No, of course not. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but I do think that the SAG strike, if it happens, <clears throat> I think that they will get a little bit more, but not by much that just because yeah. they've got a lot of scandals on their side as of late, you know, the whole Alec Baldwin shooting, of course that wasn't to an actor, but still, you know, um, yeah. Anyway, number five, man, this is the, the associated press today, man stabs hit bull to death in central park after argument between dog walkers. Okay. Uh, Wait, argument between bog- dog walkers. So he doesn't stab the dog walker. He stabs, he stabs the dog. Yeah, he stabs the dog. Um, I don't mean to sound like a victim blamer here, but sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what What was the pit bull wearing is what I want to know. Yeah, you know, I don't know that. I don't know that. Uh, apparently, um, it was a white woman and she called the cops on a black man who was trying to... No, no, sorry. Any group of reference doesn't make it. Yeah, this doesn't. No, it's, you know, with pit bulls. I mean, everybody's afraid of pit bulls. And, you know, uh, I don't know. This is a tale as old as time. You know, they won't let me get a pit bull. I want a pit bull in my house. I have excellent. Here's the thing that I would say about it is if you, if this pit bull, uh, if you stabbed a pit bull to death, it was a pretty nice pit bull because I'm telling you. The minute you come after a pit bull with a fucking weapon, that pit bull is going to rip your fucking arm out of its socket. Yeah, it's yeah you, you will not. Yeah, that thing will be out of your hands yeah. in a second. So this so, guy killed the nicest pit bull ever, who basically just let him kill it. And that's just, that's not cool. Number six. Yeah. I didn't realize that, uh, I didn't realize that the lesbian bar scene had kind of gone the way of the dodo, um, but apparently... Uh, lesbian bars are a rarity now. And here is here is from the Hollywood Reporter. Two new bars revive, which indicates that it was dead, revive Where? LA's lesbian nightlife scene. What is that? Is is it because they're all um like you know, so like gay men, right? So gay men, they, uh, I don't know what they do. Let's, let's just pretend uh, they ride the gay men ride on their unicorn in, in, to the bar, right? That's where they go. Uh, and then after they dismount from the horn, you see what I did there? Uh, uh, <laughs> you're, you're, man, I am so glad you took that checkoff class because of jokes like that, man, you need some help. <laughs> <laughs> So after they go in there, but anyway, so my, my point is that, you know, if you want to be a domesticated gay man, you can, I have lots of, lots of gay friends that are, that are married and they have children and that sort of thing. Right. But, uh, 
but you can also choose to just be a John Waters the rest of your life and just be a dirty old man and just sleep with, you know, just be banging dudes all the rest of your life. Right. But lesbians, on the other hand, is this going to, I'm going to sound really sexist here. Uh, that's all right. Okay. It's, it's only I set you up for this shit. Yeah, sure. It did. Uh, 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 it, it seems to me uh, that most lesbians are going to be, want to be more uh, domestic, right? Isn't that kind of in there? Uh, I don't know. It's one of the articles I was going to recommend today. Uh, we'll get to that. It's that, it's that men and women uh, are uh, are biologically different. They just are, right? Men are biologically programmed to go and spread their seed as much as they possibly can, whereas the female women are biologically programmed to create a home, and so as a result, to create a nest. Right? Listen so, to you, Utah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> So as a result, what the fuck off? So as a result, you know, past the age of 35 or 40, why are you going out to the bar anymore? You know, why aren't you home making that nest? There are six things you should do this week. My first thing this week is uh is a watch it is something that i have recommended uh to david and it finally concluded and i can say that the conclusion while the last half of the fourth season was a little bit of holy fuck we gotta end it let's write this fast that definitely had that feeling the final episode was a really satisfying ending so i am going to recommend once again all four seasons on netflix of manifest Oh, manifest! I thought you were going with succession. Okay. Oh no, no, I'm going manifest because manifest is a. I I never even heard of it, or I kind of right, vaguely heard of it. But Stephen King once a couple of years ago tweeted that it was the best TV show he'd seen. So I'm like, if Stephen King says I got to watch it, and it's, I'm not, you know, I'm not always necessarily a great big fan of uh, biblical science fiction. You know what I mean? Like where they say, hey, this is science fiction, but it's actually taking the text of the Bible, of the Judeo-Christian Bible, as fact. That's yeah. that's a little weird. However, this one uh, this one really works. And it makes it, it you know, it it, it, it it takes it and makes it more mythological. So I kind of like that. And it, it, I've got to tell you, it's a good fucking show. I really liked it. Nice. Okay. Uh, so my turn, right? Yeah. Um, I have, uh, I'm not nearly as, um, tapped into popular culture as you and David are, but I'll give you a few. So I love this podcast that my friend, really good friend, Tiffany Carter recommended to me, which is, uh, the 60 songs that explain the nineties. Have you heard this? I haven't. I, I don't see now. I have to, that sounds great. It's fantastic. It's yeah, well, that sounds really good. He's way past 60, by the way. Is that like 90? So, um, but it's really, really, really well done. And what's really cool about it is, first of all, he'll he'll provide. He's an excellent music critic. I, I should have written his name down. Uh, anyway, uh, he's an excellent music critic, and he will talk about the piece and what it meant to the culture at the time. Like the most recent one I just listened to was Ice Ice Baby, Vanilla Ice. But he'll also talk about like good things, like Depeche Mode's uh, "Enjoy the Silence." And Ice Ice Baby is a good thing. That's awesome. It's very catchy. It's yeah, catchy. Uh, <laughs> um, I gotta uh, tell you, it's no having a Roni. All I'm gonna say is, anybody that says Ice Ice Baby is shitty but likes Hamilton is a fucking hypocrite. 
I never said that I liked. Uh, no, I'm just, I'm just, this conversation? Uh, I'm just saying. So I like it a lot. I think it's really good. I think it's fun. Uh, and on top of that, it's almost like you get to go back to the '90s because that's when I was in college, and you get to the introduced. I get introduced to new bands I hadn't even heard of, and so that's now awesome. it's like I'm I'm time traveling back, and and it's all new for me again. All right, I'm gonna list that. Sounds that sounds really good. My second thing, um, I'll be honest with you. Uh, the only reason I watched this movie um, is the uh, you know I'm 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 single and. Uh, I'm horny. And uh, Julia Sweeney, while a younger woman, has a spectacular set of tits. I mean, like ridiculous jugs. And so I saw that she was in this movie on Max, HBO Max, yeah. called Reality. And I went, well, I want to watch some of those hot young jugs. And then it turns out that she has three talents, hit number one, tit number two, and she can act. Because this is a really good movie called reality and what's reality really, yeah it's called reality that's the name of the character not like anything but what but it's also i'll tell you this is what i love it. i don't want to give anything away but it's fascinating because this is a film that is every word of dialogue is it, it is taken directly from a transcript of an fbi interrogation of a potential uh nsa uh classified document leaker and basically she plays this woman that they come to her house and they're like so can we you know, do you want to come down to our office or do you just want to we can interview you here in your home and they're searching her apartment we have a warrant would you like to read the warrant? and it it is word for word from the transcript so nothing about it is made up it's not not none of it's fictional and it is she is spectacularly good at it and i went wow okay so she's super hot and She's really good actor, and I love this show. Totally unexpected, highly recommended. Was uh, is Julia Sweeney? Is that one of the Sweeney sisters from SNL? Yeah, that's Julia uh, Sweeney. This is Nora Dunn. Sweeney. Yeah, Sydney, yeah. This, Sydney. this is Sydney Sweeney. She was in Euphoria. She was in White Lotus season one, and you can't miss her because she's just skinny little blonde with great big tits. You know who you're talking about. I was trying to. A joke and it didn't work but you actually schooled me and now i know what you're talking about yeah so i have a uh a, a, a more sobering thing to read i actually like this a lot uh it's an article on a little thing that you two like to read all the time the atlantic holy shit uh, what i've never heard of that period yeah it's uh it's named after a body of water uh it's just to the east of this country Anyway, the name of the article is The End of Affirmative Action for Real This Time. It's by uh, Hannah Rosen. Have you read this? I've read it. It's very... More of a listen than it is. Yeah. I like it a lot. It's a really balanced way of looking at things, uh, in in, in particular, because, you know, I work in higher ed, and it talks a lot about how um, this most recent uh, case that's coming up against is about... Asian Americans saying that I'm they're being excluded because they will say, oh, well, there are we don't have enough. We have we have enough Asian American students here. We're going to uh, choose someone else. That's not you. Yeah. So it's yeah. not typical angry white dude going, oh, you, ain't get in. you know what I mean? That sort of thing. Yeah. That's yeah. Kind of how I talk and I don't. Yeah, get but the, the Asians are basically white people. We already know that. That's what we've been. Oh, talking. well, sure. Yeah, that's. um. That is basically the same thing. Real racist, but sure. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> I'm not it disagreeing is. with it. 
it's terribly racist, but that is pretty much what uh, what the, uh, the, the 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 social justice fundamentalists would have you believe. They call it they call it white adjacent, but really oh, it means they're white people. That's really what they mean. Oh, gross! They oh. are white adjacent, which really is just one of the most offensive things I can think of. But okay, you, 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 oh. you made your boogaboo. You've made your boogeyman. Go with it. Speaking of a boogeyman, AI is my boogeyman. Um, and my third thing is in The Verge. It's by a young lady named Mia Sato. It is an article called The Store is for People, but the Storefront is for Robots. And this is really a wonderfully written. That's the thing is it, it's really greatly. It's, it's great writing. But basically, this is a woman that started um, writing a blog about uh, about work life and work lifestyle, that kind of stuff. And then realized that there was so much SEO shit going on and so much search engine op optimization that there was so much of this bullshit that nobody, she couldn't reach the people that were actually going to read her stuff. So she created a storefront all for the AI, for the Google search engines, for all of that shit, and then a blog for people that could actually read it. And it is a really interesting article that says, "Yeah, we're over advertised to, and this is a, a this has become an unsustainable uh, business model, which is the, the the SEO shit." I did that for a while, so I, I understood most of it. But it's it's a good article. If that is a mindfuck, that's a hell of a mindfuck right there because yeah, yeah. no longer are we advertising to the people we're advertising to the middleman or middle bot and then right after that uh then in comes sarah connor and then there's a time loop <laughs> and i would argue by the way that uh reese goes back in time to create john connor I don't know. Who knows? That doesn't really make sense. That, that argument doesn't work. Doesn't hold up though very well. So right. that part was that wasn't in this article, but I think she could probably write about it. It's a good writer. And oh, what is your third thing? Your third thing. My last. So last for the day. Uh, I went back in time. Uh, so because I'm a theater guy, most of the stuff that I read is theater related. And recently, I uh, reread a play. Now, a pl this play, you're going to say, "Oh, it's not going to be as good." And when it's if it's not, you know, if you don't perform it, honestly, it's better if you read it. Uh, it just is because it's it's that's about like, that's like all of, all of George Bernard Shaw. Yes. Way better to read than to ever see it on a stage. Give me a freaking snooze break. Because this thing would be about eight hours long if you were to do it. You, I know you know this play. It's the Kentucky Cycle by Robert Schenken. <laughs> yes, it is. It's a phenomenal, amazing play. It's amazing. It has. It's so not a play. It's a novel. It's a novel. It's not a play. No one in their right mind does this as a play and expects that, you know, it's like say, trying to do Wagner today. It's just not possible. But it is an absolutely amazing piece. Like it has like, so much to say because what it, what it's about is it, it, ca it, it follows two families from the Revolutionary War up until the 1970s in Kentucky. And it basically, it talks about the settling of that and the just the sheer brutality that goes on between these two families. Mm -hmm. and then it, it tracks the, uh, the invasion really of the coal mining companies that come in there and then the coal mining companies leaving and the devastation that that creates. And it basically tells you exactly how you get modern Appalachia. And it's yeah. phenomenal. I mean, it has so much to say. It's one of them has to be one of the most American plays ever written. It's amazing.
I'd agree with that. Yeah, that's actually that's actually a really good thing. And I've been looking for something new to read, so maybe I will uh, I will I will uh, access that somehow, and I will read that because I'm yeah I got a chair now. I got a reading chair. I got like you got a chair. I went my you know for twenty five bucks out of a church garage sale here in uh, fucking Wichita, Kansas. I got a goddamn recliner. Well, fucking Don Don Hall has a chair. And it's and it's my reading chair, and I and I, I thoroughly enjoy sitting and reclining with a little glass of whiskey and a book. It's it's you put on a, a red smoking jacket and a little. No, I'm stark naked. I'm stark naked because hey, I live by myself. Well, who's the fuck is going to say anything? I'm by myself. I can fucking sh- I can shit like this could be San Francisco. I can shit right on the floor and leave it there. Nobody's going to say anything. There are no police to defund in my apartment. That's it. Don, Don, have you shit on your floor? You can listen to the Literate Ape cast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or any place you find your podcast, Jones. If you enjoy listening to Two White Guys Holding Court, review or share the show on your own platforms, or throw us a few bucks on Patreon. For more information about Literate Ape, go to literateape.com and check out the rest of our podcasts, all of our writing, and our events. Music on the Apecast is courtesy of Mike Vinopal and Local Motive. You can find them all over Chicago and online at locomotiveband.com. What the fuck?